Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Remember, on Monday, August 5th at 7 p.m., we are going to be at the Ann Arbor Public Library in downtown Ann Arbor to continue our WDET book club events for the summer. We are reading together Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha's book, what the eyes don't see, and talking about environmental issues, water quality, infrastructure, all of the things that kind of spring from that text, uh, all of the issues that come up. Um, We will have with us in Ann Arbor Senator Jeff Irwin and Michigan Radio's investigative reporter, Lindsay Smith. So for more information, you can go to WDET.org slash events. We will love to see you there and continue this great conversation that we've got going this summer about this book. Um, All right. Up first today, we are talking about the two days of Democratic presidential debates that we just saw here in the city of Detroit. Of course, we really loved having the spotlight, I guess, here on us uh, during the debates. Uh, But what did we learn? What did we learn from the 10 candidates who debated each night uh, in their quest to become the nominee to take on Donald Trump next year in the 2020 presidential elections. Especially what we want to do this hour is we want to hear from you. Did you watch one night? Did you watch two nights? Uh, And what did you take away from what you saw? What did you think of the performance of Vice President Joe Biden, the front runner, who seemed to be a little bit of a punching bag last night for the other candidates who were with him? What did you think of Kamala Harris or Cory Booker? What did you think of the first night of candidates where uh, you had uh, a lot of candidates who I had not heard a whole lot about before or heard a whole lot from before? Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, A little later in the show, we are maybe going to get a call from uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, uh, who we had been trying to schedule to come on and talk about his campaign before the debates. It didn't quite work out. He's going to try to call us a little later this hour. If he does, we'll we'll get him uh, in here, too, so you can talk with him about uh, how he did uh, and what he expects to see next. Uh, But again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And we want to start today with an esteemed panel of (laughs) debate watchers. Uh, Nancy Kaffer is a columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Greg Bowens is a political and communications consultant. And Brandon Bryce is an independent political consultant. Guys, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great yes. to be here. Are you all debated out? No. Yes. <laughs> we want more. I need more. <laughs> oh my God, you guys are crazy. <laughs> Give us more. No, so it's, it's it was nice to have them here. <clears throat> I'm say I'm sure I speak for lots of people when I say it'll be nice to see them go. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with the uh, thumbnail takes from the debates. What did you take away sort of in in the sort of uh, uh, the most prominent way, I guess, from from what we saw over the last two days. Nancy, I'm going to start with you. Um, it's going to be a long year. <laughs> and I think it's also really important to remember that most voters aren't engaging with this at all yet. I mean, the, the, the record-drawing crowd for the debates in Miami 
was less than the, for the, the, the night that had the highest viewership was less than the season finale series finale for game of Thrones. I mean, we're, we're, we're still talking about a very small segment of the population. So this is, this is important to keep that perspective in mind when we're evaluating the, the, what we see as large or small shifts. I am somebody who says it's too early to be <laughs> talking about any of these things or thinking about any of these things. We're 400 and some days from uh, next year's presidential election. I think we ought to be talking about governing and getting some stuff done in advance of that. Of course, uh, every cycle we see that move earlier and earlier, uh, and we never really get that chance. But uh, but I agree with you that, that people are not really paying attention. Did, was there anybody... Nancy, who stood out to you, though, who who did better than you expected or maybe did worse than you expected? Did better than I expected. Um, you know, I think some of the folks who don't really have a shot, you know, your 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 Andrew Yang's, your with all due respect, G- Governor Inslee's, your your um, your um, well, why is my mind going blank now? Um, there's some of these folks are really shaping the conversation in very interesting ways. And I'm glad they're on the stage because we're getting climate change, Governor Inslee bringing into the conversation. Um, Andrew Yang talking about universal basic income, which I didn't think we would hear on a mainstream debate stage. And I think we really need to talk about that kind of stuff. The way the way they're shaping that uh, is is great. Um uh, you know, so so I think I don't know that I'd say that they had breakout performances that gave them a real path, but I but I think maybe they define themselves a little better. Yeah, and 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 again, they put these issues on the stage by being there and bringing them up, and and that's there's value in that. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, I I I I hear you. I hear you too on that, but I I don't think it's too early for those of us who are tired of living in the madness of Donald Trump. You know, these debates give people the opportunity to for a glimmer of hope, like this will be over soon. All we have to do is press ahead and we have to start now. So if we weren't having these debates and these discussions about the next president, then we'd still be taught, uh, caught in the black hole, the Trump black hole of what's going on with no light at the end of the tunnel. So I think that that is something that we should consider here, too, because these primaries are not about the general population. They're about, you know, the primary voter. The, 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 the politic heads, people that are out there that are paying attention. And so from that perspective, I don't think it's too early. But, you know, I, I do hear that from people. You know, I'm trying not to think about it. They're trying not to think about the election and they're trying not to think about Trump. But Trump keeps intruding on everybody's consciousness every chance he gets, usually at two or three in the morning when he pops up and starts tweeting. <laughs> it looks like to me, this is what I took away from 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 the last two days. One is, is that. We almost everybody is the B team. <laughs> Sadly, this early on, huh. uh, you have two captains that are driving the conversation, and one has been driving it for a long time. That's Bernie. You know, Bernie's talking points, Bernie's perspective mm-hmm. has pushed the party to the left, and he's still kind of in the driver's seat of that. Mm-hmm. We're kind of used to what he's been saying, but you know, the point, the the fact of the matter is, is that he took the ball, started running. Now he sort of passed it off to the star player which I'm going to get to in a second, the, the second captain or the co-captain is Biden representing the more moderate wing of, the, of, of what's going on. And people are simply saying, you know, I don't care what happens to Biden. He can be the guy to beat Trump because <clears throat> at least we won't have all of this foolishness that goes on. You know what I'm saying? And, but I think that the star player is really Elizabeth Warren. Mm. She's mm-hmm. she's picked up the ball from Bernie Sanders. She's moved it forward, and she's talking about you've got to have the kahunas 
to, to, to want to make this country a better place. Now, will that get her across the line as, you know, as the star player taking it to the end zone? I'm not really sure about that, but she is really making the case for uh, what I think and, and that we're not really talking about. Somebody, one guy did talk about it last night, but the importance of flipping the Congress, flipping the Senate, because these great ideas are not going to go anywhere unless we get the Congress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, ahead, I, just, I don't think it's fair to say she picked up the ball from Bernie Sanders. Warren has been doing her thing for a long time. I, I don't think she had to learn that from, from Bernie. I think she's, she's a... <clears throat> uh, uh, this has been her career is studying yeah. this stuff and then but this is her first time running and right. it's his second and <laughs> i think if, no question she she knows this stuff inside and out i think uh but the mantle of that part of mm-hmm. the party and that role in this process may have seemed to transfer a little bit from from sanders well, i mean to I think, her. Yeah, i'm and, not and saying her. she learned i mean you know okay. they're on the same All right, page I just, what i, I am just saying is stand up for my uh my yeah no 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 i'm not doing that <laughs> no. what i'm saying is is that is that you know she could have been a player in the last election you know when mm-hmm. we were looking for somebody to run against hillary quinton's Clinton so that she's just not the anointed queen. And Bernie Sanders was the one that stepped up and did that. And so he mm-hmm. shaped the left in a lot of ways well, and and uh, gave her the opportunity, I think, to capitalize on it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, go ahead, Nancy. So ahead. the big risk for Warren is that she's, she's so competent and she's so good oh, yeah. at explaining really deeply wonky policy stuff in a way that's engaging and accessible. Mm-hmm. And like we saw in the last cycle, you know, showing up and doing like a great job isn't always as exciting as right. the people who do crazy stuff. Right. <laughs> and I think that's that's a risk in this cycle too. Personality uh, counts. Brandon, what did you uh, what did you think oh, of the last two nights? My my my. Uh, well, I watched both debates, even though I barely could get a ticket, but that's okay. Um, a couple things. Couple <laughs> You're things. Not here. a Democrat. At least you <laughs> got in. Yeah. What do you get? But you know what you know. But the reality is, one of these people could be president. So whether you're Democrat or Republican, it's important to watch uh, just based on what I saw. Now, let me tell you a couple things. One is I thought what was very interesting is watching, and we've seen this in the Republican Party, but it was interesting watching the fight between liberalism, those who were on the far left, and those who wanted to stay centrist. And what I also found, which was very interesting, is it was interesting to see the difference between the way senators thought and the way governors thought. Hmm. Two totally different perspectives. Um, even though I don't think any of the governors probably at this point have a shot. Uh, some of the winners and losers, uh, I thought, and I, I agree with my colleagues, I think Elizabeth Warren is the real deal. Um, you know, I think she's she's she she almost has the support of uh, a lot of Bernie's <laughs> base and perspectives. Uh, they are friends. They do agree on a lot. But I think she's the more calm uh, I think people actually like her, and I think she doesn't come off uh, in some cases as offensive as Bernie may have in the past. Uh, some of the people who shocked me, some of the losers, uh, I was really disappointed that uh, Senator Booker uh, did not do more or say more. There was a couple times that um, former HUD director uh, really was very vocal about racial profiling, and I would have thought Corey would have taken more of a a stronger stance on that. Hmm. Uh, some of the people who shocked me, um, I, I really am, and I, I think this guy is a wild card. I, I think Buttigieg uh, is a very interesting candidate to watch, and I, I've liked him so far from what I've seen. Um, the other thing is, I think, and I was very shocked about this person, 
Uh, I think Tulsi Gibbard, uh, I don't think she'll be president, but I think she had some very interesting stances when it came to uh, Veterans Affairs. And I think she really opened up Pandora's box for Senator Harris on her past uh, stance on criminal justice reform. I think you're going to see a lot of people kind of open that door and 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 move on that. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think when we watch these debates, uh, it's, uh, you know, no, the, the, the debate is not going to determine, uh, I mean, people have what, two hours to give their entire platform. And quite frankly, you know, we're going to see that list drop uh, come September. And so we, I think we're at 22 candidates now. Uh, come September, we may be at 10, you know, 12. Uh, I think the dollars are going to start to kind of kind of shore up on those candidates that really don't have uh, a shot. Uh, but I think one of the things that we saw is, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, from what I've seen thus far, uh, I am still not convinced. And CNN actually did a poll on this with Democrats. I am not convinced these candidates can beat Donald Trump. And let me be clear about this. I didn't say it. A, a, a poll, the CNN did a, did a group of seven people, and they asked, uh, Randy Kay asked seven people from Detroit who were Democrats, registered Democrats, do you think these candidates can beat Donald Trump? One person raised their hand. Yeah. Well, it's, oh. early, it's early for that. Hey, yeah. Hang on. I, I want to get a, a clip in here. we got a lot of uh, sure. audio from the, the last two nights uh, that I think will help f- uh, frame some of the conversation. Uh, I, I want to talk about the role that Detroit, Played mm-hmm. uh, in this uh, in this debate. Of course, we were the hosts, but uh, there are a lot of issues that we deal with here that uh, that people thought would maybe frame some of the, the discussion. I want to play a clip from Bernie Sanders, though, talking uh, about Detroit, mm-hmm. and then get you guys to respond to it. Uh, Detroit was mentioned, and I'm delighted Detroit Detroit is rebounding. But let us understand, Detroit was nearly destroyed because of awful trade policy which allowed corporations to throw workers in this community out on the streets as they move to low-wage countries. So uh, that's Bernie trying to explain uh, how we've ended up where we are here in Mm -hmm. Detroit. I'm not sure he was exactly right. Mm -mm. Um, (laughs) He might have have Mm -mm. overemphasized one Mm -hmm. thing and underemphasized others, but... Let's give him credit. He was trying to he's trying to play to the home crowd. Uh, what did we think, though, of the way that the candidates generally dealt with Detroit? Did I, they say enough? I, I, I thought the person who spoke most eloquently to Detroit was Cory Booker's closing statement, where he talked about the defiant love that that people in cities have, and about um, I don't know. It's to me, I, I disagree with Brandon. I thought he did great in the debate, and I was so pleased to see him kind of show up way he didn't really in the first one because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really interested in, in what he has to say and I think he has a lot of room <clears throat> to grow here but I, I mean, thought this is an urban city mayor former urban mm-hmm. city mayor right. running for president and, and he's pretty exciting for us right? ties to Detroit he talked about his his mother, his mother uh, and, and father yep. being yep. You know, in Detroit and no I just thought that part he said about you know we never let people under underestimate our worth I mean at that to me, that felt like something someone from Detroit would say about Detroit. Yeah, I, I, I got to say that the uh, that I was pleasantly surprised to hear some specific references to Detroit, talking about the flooding on the east side as a failure of our infrastructure, talking about fixing the damn roads and you know how mm-hmm. we're focused on that. And uh, uh, but they, what they didn't get to were issues of race. They're in a city that's eighty two percent black, and they haven't talked. They didn't talk about the disparities from that perspective. Um, but when he, when Bernie talked about 
the uh, the trade deals and sucking away jobs. I got to tell you, from working with the labor movement for a long time, that was one of the things that mm. folks did not like about Democrats, mm. that we sort of went along with this uh, this trade deal that was supposed to create more jobs, but ended up having people around here packing away machinery and sending it down to Mexico. And so mm-hmm. even though we have that perspective uh, and that resentment from that particular trade deal, what folks aren't happy, still aren't, don't believe in is that things are going to really change for the better, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, but, but they did try and get to it. They just mm-hmm. left the big elephant in the room out there. Well, except for Marianne Williamson, right. who was, yeah. Yeah, she was all over that. One, I know. She? she was like, you know, I sent my kid to a great school while everybody else suffered, you know, and I was really ashamed of it, but I didn't do a damn thing about it. You know, <laughs> Brandon, you know, you know, one of the things I was very impressed by wasn't even necessarily just, with the comments from the debate on Detroit, but it was when the candidates walked outside of Detroit and walked the streets of Detroit and went to coffee shops in Detroit. And some of the commentary specifically around uh, from Senator Harris and from uh, um, who's the governor, Uh, a couple of other candidates, when they walked, they said, wow, Detroit is back. And I thought that was very interesting when we talk about the narrative. I mean, just the fact that CNN came to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Detroit was on a world stage uh, for two days where people said, wow, that's not the Detroit that we heard of, mm-hmm. or that's not the Detroit that was in the press, or that's not the Detroit where you can get robbed, shot, or killed. That Detroit actually looks like a great city. And so I just want to give you know not only just credit to the candidates uh, for some of their comments, but, but just for CNN uh, coming to Detroit and, and really giving us a, a positive narrative. Now, with that said... Uh, they went to downtown Detroit. And so I heard no candidate talk about, which, you know, they wouldn't have known. Um, but some of the candidates, you know, they didn't talk about uh, the tale of two cities. You know, they mentioned uh, the mayor quite frequently, but they didn't talk about the fact that well, Detroit has a culture war, hmm. you know, between the haves and the have nots, sure. between and downtown, midtown and the other town. Yeah. That, that's ahead, a Nancy. pretty that's like a pretty deep cut on Detroit for someone who's not from here. But Governor Inslee did talk about um Four eight two one seven, one of the most polluted right. zip codes he in America. Did, I, sure I, did. When he said that, I wondered who who'd been in his ear about that, right? I mean, that's somebody yeah. doing a lot of research uh, and getting to him and saying, "Hey, talk about this." And, yeah. and they did reference uh, who was it? The same guy that went down to the Marathon Oil. Yes, that's what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, Governor yeah. Inslee. In, in, in relation, I, I got to say, actually Gov- River Rouge, though. Let's be let's be very. So clear. I felt like Governor Inslee. Um, He's screaming into the void here. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not yeah. wrong. Climate change is the ball game. It's right. the big question. Yeah. If we don't figure this out, all this other stuff is window dressing. He's not wrong about the the health issues that are mm-hmm. coming along with all this stuff. And then a lot of people are like, eh, climate change. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's too we'll big. To it's that, too right? hard. It's too expensive. <laughs> they got to nationalize he, he's, it. He's got to have the most frustrating he's like, experience he's like a, he's, like, he's like a coach. He yeah. reminded me of like my football coach. That's uh, really interesting. You know, and, and again, a uh, reminder for listeners, we are hoping that Jay Inslee is going to call us a little later this hour. We're going to talk to him about his campaign and his performance in the the debates and (laughs) screaming into the void. We'll ask him about 48217. Uh, All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the Democratic debates here in Detroit. We're going to continue to take your calls as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us what you thought of the performances we saw over the last two days and whether maybe somebody changed your mind about 
them or the other candidates. Tom in Northwest Detroit, Vernon in Auburn Hills, Joanne in Detroit. We'll get to you next if you want to join them. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guests are Nancy Kaffer, she's a columnist for the Detroit Free Press, Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant, and Brandon Bryce, an independent political consultant. We're talking about what went on here in the city of Detroit over the last two days as 20 Democratic hopefuls for 2020 came to debate in our great city and talk about all the issues that uh, are percolating nationally as well as locally. Uh, we want to hear from you this hour as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will try to work you into the conversation. Before I get to phones, I want to play another clip and talk about what uh, what the candidates are doing here. <clears throat> uh, systemic racism uh, came up a lot in these debates. I think I have seen more talk about that issue in than in any other uh, presidential primary I can remember. Here's a clip of New York Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand on that topic. <laughs> I don't believe that it's the responsibility of Corey and Kamala to be the only voice that takes on these issues of institutional racism, systemic racism in our country. I think as a white woman of privilege who is a U.S. senator running for president of the United States, it is also my responsibility to lift up those voices that aren't being listened to. And I can talk to those white women in the suburbs that voted for Trump and explain to them what white privilege actually is. That when their son is walking down a street with a bag of M&Ms in his pocket, wearing a hoodie, his whiteness is what protects him from not being shot. I mean, the, the starkness of the language right. that she's using mm-hmm. there it was the thing that stood out to me. I mean, you just don't hear presidential candidates talk that way about race. But let's, so, be, hold on, but let's be very clear. You know, when she mentioned white women in the suburbs, and we actually study this, they typically vote the way their husbands do. And so I thought that was a very interesting perspective is that it's not just white women in the household. Let's talk about, you know, how do we change the approach in families, you know, in in schools, you know, segregating schools and things of that nature. It's not just about I I understood what her point was, but I think it goes into the fact that most most white women in the suburbs typically will vote the way that their husbands do. And I think that has a lot to do. I'm not sure. I, Everyone's I, looking I, at I, you. I, told, I told you. I'm okay. trying to get out of Nancy's no, way here. Okay. It's a little misogynistic. No, no, no. It's, it's well, not misogynistic. It's reality. And they vote They vote on issues hmm. pertaining to things like education. I want to see the tab on that. Hold on, hold on. I want to give Nancy a chance to address that. But I do want us to get to this to get to the sort of meat sure. of what she's saying sure. as well, which is this is a, 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 a U.S. senator and a presidential candidate saying, I want to talk about white privilege. I want to talk about the difference between what my kid experiences and what somebody else's kid experiences. I, I think those are those are things that we just don't hear in sure. this context. But, but Nancy, I want you to... 
Um, Go ahead and answer. So, uh, I don't live in the suburbs, but I'm going to, I guess, white lady explain here. Um, but doesn't your husband tell you how to vote? My who? My fiance. My fiance would not dream of something such a thing. Um, so. Uh, you know, I mean, wh- white women are more liberal than white men. They vote Democrat more than white men do. White men are like overwhelmingly voted for Trump in 16. Um, black women are more liberal than black men. More black mm-hmm. women solidly voted for, for Democrat than black men. Women are just more liberal than dudes. And yeah, sure, people make decisions. And it's not because they vote the way their husbands do. I think it's because married people live in the same place, see the same factors impacting their lives. And they and have the same great deal of self-interest, I mean, it's, right? it's, not yeah. like there, it's not like there's a bunch of Stepford wives out saying, yeah. Yes, dear. I'll, <laughs> I'll vote but for Trump. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, so, um, uh, but to the Gillibrand thing, yeah. I thought, um, you know, it, I think some folks seem to think that this was um, an unpopular or it, it is a risky thing to say because mm-hmm. white people don't really like talking about white privilege. Mm-hmm. But first of all, um, who is supposed to talk to white women in the suburbs about their own privilege, if not other white women? That's part of the work. She's absolutely right. African-Americans, this, this isn't, your job. It's not your problem. And, and African-Americans have to do a disproportionate amount of heavy lifting on this. And and white people need to step up and do our part. And I thought it was great that she was taking that territory out. And I also think it was a shrewd move, considering mm-hmm. that she's on a debate stage in a city that needs to turn out the African-American vote to win Michigan in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, do white women in the suburbs hear this and get offended? I don't know. Do black women and black men in Detroit hear this and say, oh, she's she's getting me in a way that no one else on the stage is kind of, you know, none of the other white candidates are, are putting front and center? Maybe. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. So I, I, I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a... Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was shrewd. Well, but I mean, but and I don't mean that to say insincere. I thought it no, was. No, I thought it was very a really, deeply felt and genuine. Yeah, no. And and I, but I thought it was. It was. But quite smart in in yeah. the, in a way that I think defines her for some voters who probably were not paying any attention I, to I, her at all. I like her, and I and I think she's often described in negative ways in national press. She's described as being ambitious, which like who on the stage isn't, and she's right. described as. Um, being too pushy or whatever. Uh, I kind of like, I guess, pushy, ambitious women. But she's got a real Leslie Nope energy to her that I, <laughs> that I, that I like. So I'm glad Ooh, she got to... Parks and Rec. Uh, I'm glad she got there. to talk. Uh, this pop talk culture more. over here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get us talking about sci-fi. But I you know, I understand the points that you folks are making. I, I, have a, I would like for you to consider this. And that is when she made that argument, and I was listening, I was sort of like wanting to get out of the car, but I was compelled to hear what she had to say on this issue. Uh, it's it 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 sounds nice, just like reparations sounds nice, just like healthcare for everybody sounds nice, but it doesn't. It fails the believability test, and I'm going to say that from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, asking white women in this argument to uh, to to give up or to overcome their natural instinct to motherhood and wanting them to have the best for their kids, the best protections for their kids, you know, saying that, saying that I want you to face the reality of the protections that your kid has because of his or her skin color. And I want you to challenge that Mm -hmm. is like asking them to say, I want you to, 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 to realize that 
by facing this, you will make your kid less safe. No, no, no I, that's I, no, what I heard. Who's going to give up a desire to give their kid yeah, every sure advantage? My, my, kid sure doesn't ha- my kid doesn't have to be less safe the for rea- your kid rea- to be more the, the, safe. The reality here, I want, guys, I'm sorry. I want your kids to be as safe as my kid. I don't want I don't want my kid to be to be put in danger. And I don't think that we have to go that way. I think we can say, Steven, well, let's let's yeah. pull everyone up to this to the kind yeah. of safety and protection that. The, the, re- the reality is, and this is was, this was what my point was going to, I, I think my colleague explained a little better. The reality here is that one of the issues that we have between the suburbs and the city is that when we, like, we, we, we like to say everybody's kumbaya, we want our kids to go to school with each other to talk. There is a disconnect between suburbs across America that says we want to help, but we don't want those folks in our backyards. And that's the reality. And so, and so we can say all day, you know, Gillibrand is a conservative uh, senator from New York. Uh, from upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And so there's a different perspective than if her kid was coming from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn or East Flatbush. And so we've got to be realized to recognize that although that sounds nice, right. the reality is, and I, I go back to it, people are going to vote their best interest and the way and of what's in the best of their family. But, but at the, the same time, at the same time, that's kind of the point is that uh, this is somebody who is from that class of people right. who who have, for the most part, left cities, don't think a whole lot about cities, don't maybe think all that much about people in cities. And she's saying, I want to be the messenger to people like me uh, that says, hey, we do have to pay attention to these things mm-hmm. and we should care that there's a double standard that applies mm-hmm. and, and puts black kids at risk in a way that our kids are not. And and this is this is what you know, when we talk about like you can't say I'm going to give up my white privilege. I'm not going to be a middle class mm-hmm. college educated professional anymore. But you can say I'm going to use the, the position that I have and and the platform I've I've mm-hmm. I've got to amplify these other issues and I think that's what she was doing and and I and you know for uh, 3 4 years ago uh, people started talking about universal health care on a presidential debate stage, which had previously been absolutely political anathema. Like you mm-hmm. could not talk about this. Mm-hmm. And now it's a it's a wedge issue in this election. It's huge. It's probably the biggest issue. Um, we have the two of the front runners are staunchly Medicare for all supporters. Mm-hmm. So how do we get there yeah. if we don't have someone like Kirsten Gillibrand putting it front and center on a stage? Yeah. Well, D- does, I, it, does it solve the problem? No. Is it a step? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I agree that it's a step, but it's only a step when we speak plainly about these issues between white and black. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to really consider this, Nancy, that, uh, that, that in order for a lot of people feel like that in order for people to get ahead, they, somebody's got to give up something. You know, so you're asking people, you're asking I mean, these mothers the to give up to in... give up their privilege, <clears throat> to give up their desire to have their kid be the most protected, yeah, see, I don't the think best that's what educated. She was saying. I that's, really that's, don't think that's, that's what no, she was. No, she wasn't saying that. I'm saying but this is the hill but, that people have to overcome to get past that. Okay. That's you're, what no, I'm you're saying. You're right. P- people do feel mm-hmm. threatened. I, I mean, I white people often feel threatened when when we have to try to talk about privilege. That's right. This is a whole, we should probably come back and have a whole hour long conversation about <laughs> this. Race, but, if we do that a lot on the show, but it, we but can it, do that. It, yeah, no, that's true. And, but it does, it does, I think, take starting to mainstream yeah. that conversation. No, that's yeah. right. And that's what she was doing. I mean, she's mm-hmm. saying, look, uh, I am of this, 
this ilk, uh, and, and I'm saying we need to do it. Uh, we need to do it differently. Well, why doesn't I Joe get Biden to, do that? I want to get to Good I question. That was a sound bite. I, I want to get to uh, the callers. We got a lot of calls okay. uh, queued up here for people. Uh, let's go first to Jim in Southfield. Jim, welcome to the show. Yeah, hello. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, I'll be quick and snappy. I really strongly dislike the uh, questions from the uh, CNN host. I mean, I love the channel, but they seem to be designed to get TV video moments instead of allowing the candidates to really express and put shit light yeah. on their position. You know, Jim, I, I, I absolutely agree. I was sitting there both nights thinking that the questions were really awful um, and mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. that they weren't um, – and it's not that they weren't on the topics that people probably want to want to hear about. I think they were. It's that they were um, they were framed in such cynical ways. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, as someone who's had to moderate a fair number mm-hmm. of debates, it's a really hard job. It is really mm-hmm. hard to, to put it together in a way that makes some sense, that gets mm-hmm. to substance, uh, that makes sure that people – all get the same amount of time, which they did not do. Uh, in in either night, you had real imbalances in how much people mm-hmm. were talking. But but I thought that the that their approach to framing the questions uh, was again about you know inciting conflict or entertainment as opposed to saying we actually want to have a discussion about right. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was uh, you know so uh, Senator Harris, do you think? Vice President Biden is right. the worst or the worst ever. Yeah. Yeah, terrible. He question. doesn't think much of you. <laughs> right, right. How do you respond? Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, uh, Jim, for the call and the, the the comments. Let's go to Heather in Ferndale. Heather, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to address the idea of whether you can convince white women to sort of vote in such a way that helps somebody else besides themselves and mm-hmm. I think it can be I, can, I think it can I mean because the truth is is that to a large degree no matter how we vote we're going to be fine and I do think it's really important I think we have to recognize that we need to vote in such a way that will uplift other people mm-hmm. and, and take that into account not just vote our wallets and I mean you know what well, anyway yeah. but um and also I want to say there was the gentleman who was a skeptic about whether this is at all possible. I think that really, especially in the younger generation, there's a lot more out, a, a much better understanding out there of that. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of us white women who who vote, you know, based on what is going to be the, for the better good. And I think that, you know, you can, you can present it as that kind of, I mean, everybody so focuses on economics all the time. Right. But, you know, life is not just money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Heather, it's how the labor is doing. Yeah. And, you know, so anyway, I, Heather, I, I, I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate your call on that, and that perspective. I was hoping we'd hear from some of the people <clears throat> that I think Gillibrand was talking to uh, when when she mm-hmm. said that, and I th- I think Heather's right that uh, there is an ask there that uh, that may be kind of new uh, mm-hmm. in presidential politics. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. She'll make a great vice president. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right? always second class citizen, right? <laughs> no, Elizabeth Warren. I, I oh, you you, you would have Warren Gillibrand. Okay, That's, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. 
is the number. If you want to join the conversation, um, go back to social media here. V on Twitter says, uh, overall, I am not voting for a Democratic candidate because she or he can make Donald look like a fool in a debate. I will be voting for a Dem who will run the country the best. That's a pretty high-minded. Uh, let me just, let me just comment on that. One, and that goes back to my comment on you know one of the things I think we continue to see. Uh, you had four successful governors uh, on that panel, but I'm not sure. You know there was a conversation on decision making, and I think that was one of the issues that I saw when I watched it. As I said, you have a lot of senators and, and representatives here uh, who have ideas. But people like Governor Hickenlooper, who's been very successful in Colorado as a Democratic governor, who's talking about decisions. And let's forget the White House is an executive position. I didn't feel as though their message was really resonating or getting out there like it could. I think he should Mm -hmm. run for the Senate. I agree. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and some of the some of the folks up there, I think, are Mm -hmm. running for Senate. They're running for other (laughs) or vice president or jobs. Right. Uh, They know they're not going to get this, but maybe it gives them the opportunity to to do something else. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the Democratic presidential debates. And we'll take more of your call. Scott and Westland, Angie and Hazel Park. We'll get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you join us. Uh, We are talking about the last two days of presidential debates among Democratic candidates. That happened right here in the city of Detroit at our own Fox Theater. My guests are Nancy Kaffer, a columnist for the Detroit Free Press, Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant, and Brandon Bryce, an independent political consultant. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, I want to talk, uh, before we get back to phones, uh, a little more about frontrunners, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the candidates who I think uh, people really think have a great chance. Uh, th- there were some real challenges for them, I think, going into this debate uh, in terms of defining themselves, sort of mm-hmm. clarifying their positions. How did they do, uh, Nancy? So the thing about being a frontrunner is your biggest task is don't blow it. Um, I don't think any of them did that. I think all of them, um, you know, but when I look at, you know, Joe Biden, who's consistently been pulling at the top of the field since he got into the race, like since before he got into the race, he's not screwing up horribly. But, you know, candidates with a track record of accomplishment are great. Mm -hmm. But then that means you have a lot of stuff. He's been in politics for decades that you have to answer for. And he's not very good at that. He gets very defensive. He, He does this. Thing where he sort of shakes his head in disbelief and mm-hmm. mouths some mm-hmm. words like not true or something is he can't believe that someone's bringing up something that he did a couple of decades ago. And he needs to, for someone who's been doing this as long as he has, I would have expected him to be more adept at 
at either defending a past position mm-hmm. or of saying, you know, this is where I was in, you know, 1925 when I first got into office. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, but but the, this is a different world and things have changed. And, and this was, uh, candidates are often able to talk very compellingly about their evolution on subjects. And, and it, when it seems powerful and authentic, it, it works for voters. He does not seem to be doing that. And I gotta tell you, we haven't even heard the words Anita Hill on a debate stage yet. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I hate to cut this short, yeah, yeah. but we are going to be joined now by Governor uh, Inslee of Washington. I want to thank Nancy Kaffer, Greg Bowens, and Brandon Bryce for being here, and of course all of our callers for participating uh, in the show. Uh, 